Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And in honor of the latest Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning, we'll also be doing a franchise retrospective on the first trilogy of Mission Impossible films. To help us do that, we have a special guest making his long-awaited return to the show, Kirk Simpson. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to accept this mission. Okay, let's start out with some news. Huge news. Big industry shaking news. We have officially seen the SAG-AFTRA strike happen. They voted to commit to it on Thursday, July 13th. And then it went to, into effect on July 14th, this past Friday. So they are joining the WGA, which has already been on strike for over two months now. And this means that all productions are going to stop and any promotions for current releases. So things like Dead Reckoning, things like Oppenheimer, Barbie, any other film for the rest of the summer, basically, actors are not going to be able to promote that. So. That is big stuff, and we're going to have to see whether or not this drags out for a long time. Again, the last time that we had a dual uh, strike like this with WGA and SAG was over 60 years ago. And that one did wrap up pretty quickly once the two of them went on strike. SAG struck a deal first, and then later WGA. So we'll see how this one goes. Maybe later in the summer, we'll have a... uh, an episode all around this and talking about the industry as a whole and AI and all that stuff. Another like update to our one streaming talk we had uh, not too far back. But yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on SAG going on strike? Good for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, the top 1% of actors making such and such money, but that's not really what the strike is about. It's about those, day players, the people who are getting those under five parts who also need to make a living. So good for them for upping their minimums. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is also just a scary thought to think that every single production is just shut down right now. Everything is stopped. Like everybody in the industry is just at a halt. Mm-hmm. So I hope they wrap it up quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I hope they wrap it up quickly and satisfactorially. Yes, for sure. We have seen... Like there have been some headlines of like certain things that studios have been saying or people that are part of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. What a name. The AMPTP. So where they're saying they were waiting to until like people that are the most vulnerable and are going to start losing their houses because they're not getting work. Mm-hmm. Once they start, again, not being able to survive the rest of the strike and then they'll start clamoring for a deal. They're just going to try and wait that out which of course is awful and despicable. So hopefully again, the deal will be struck quickly so that things like that don't happen. But again, as you pointed out, I mean, yeah, we definitely want a favorable deal for the writers and the actors. So we will keep you all posted on that as the story develops. Again, we might do later in the summer. We'll possibly dedicate an episode to this um, because it is such a huge massive change again sag itself hasn't gone on strike for at least two decades that was a commercials actor strike and i've been trying to do research on it and it's like weird what they qualify as like an official strike so it's either 1980 or 2000 but either way still big 
change. It's been multiple decades. So, and then again, a dual strike hasn't happened for many, many decades. So, yeah, we will see. The industry is definitely at an inflection point. So, a lot of stuff going on. And it was funny that that week that they decided to go on strike, we also had the announcements for the Emmy nominations. So, and again, as part of that, if the dra- uh, the strike drags through September, then none of the actors are going to attend the ceremony. It probably won't even happen. It might just be like a short 30-minute press conference announcing the winners. Um, but we'll go ahead and talk about just some of the major aspects of the nominations. First of all, a major sweep for HBO. Mm-hmm. Like their shows just dominated. It was crazy. So in Best Drama alone, you can see that we have Andor from Disney+, Plus, Vertical Saw, AMC, The Crown, Netflix, Yellow Jackets from Showtime, and then House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, Succession, and The White Lotus, all from HBO. Let's so, go. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a year, what a selection, but definitely HBO being the powerhouse. In terms of Best Comedy, it's a little bit more varied. We have Abbott Elementary, Barry, The Bear, Season 1. Jury duty. We talked about that, Dylan, one time yeah. a little bit on the show. So now you definitely gotta check that check mm-hmm. that out since you got a nomination here. You haven't seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet, no. Oh, come on. It's so good. <laughs> James Muxton makes somebody take the fall for a giant shit. How can you not love that? And that's that now true. that's an Emmy nominated giant shit. So exactly. nominated giant shit. One of the many hijinks that they do on that show. It is pretty great. You should watch it. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and Wednesday for Best Comedy, which is interesting. I did not see Wednesday. I did not realize that would be uh, assigned as a comedy. But Yeah, I think it's funny go. that The Bear was assigned to comedy because mm-hmm. I mean, you, could, you could justifiably argue that it's a drama, like pretty easily. Oh, yeah. True. You say the same with half an hour, though. That's why the Barry as well. But yeah, because they're the half hour. Oh, yeah. Barry, for sure, is just no longer a comedy. It just fully transitioned into a drama. <laughs> Pretty heavy one of that. Gotcha. So, yeah. And then in terms of some notable acting nominations, again, we'll do a show later down the line on the Emmys when it happens, in whatever form it happens. But, yeah, we'll talk about whoever wins and who we wanted to win and all that. But just to shout out some of these nominations here, in terms of Best Actor, three members of the succession cast jeremy strong kieran culkin and brian cox all getting in for best actor kirk have you seen succession i have seen all of succession i love Succession, and that's it's basically i feel like every member of the tv voting academy because the only shows that i watched this year were the hbo shows (laughs) and it makes me very curious to see what's going to happen next year are we going to get like the idol nominated for anything if these people are only watching hbo they're going to have to diversify now different platforms yeah, I, I imagine that one won't be nominated <laughs> at all but it will be fascinating yeah especially with the strike and how they delay certain seasons what you know next year's emmys will look like as well with which seasons are able to qualify and all that if the shows aren't able to get back into production but yeah we see three members of succession getting nominated here i mean two of them were pretty obvious brian cox is interesting since he wasn't a major player in the season, but yeah, still getting that best actor nom. Pedro Pascal also gets best actor for Last of Us. Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul, of course, getting in as he should. Of course. 
We'll see if he gets snubbed yet again. I mean, facing three succession people, I think it's pretty inevitable one of them will win. So I think Kieran Culkin will win it. You think so? I think so. I, I would be down for that. Last season. I think, yeah. yeah, he was really strong in this past season. So He's pretty yeah. strong. He's no Jeremy strong. But, you know, <laughs> oh, sure. wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I think he had a good grasp on uh, dramaturgy this season. So <laughs> I think he'll get it. The uh, final nominee there was Jeff Bridges. So good for him. He'll not be getting the win, though. I <laughs> love but, Jeff Bridges. But yeah, nice to see that. Best actress, Sarah Snook. Coming in for a succession on that side. Mm. We also had Melanie Linsky for Yellow Jackets. Bella Ramsey for Last of Us. Woo. Which is, yeah, we were talking about how well she did in that show. And I'm glad that we're able to uh, recognize her here. So that's awesome. Yeah. Elizabeth Moss, always getting nomination for The Handmaid's <laughs> Tale. Always. So, and I then Cher- going on. I know. I think I can't remember if this most recent one was the last season or if they're still going for more it's gotta be it's you been think going so because long. it has yeah. been going on for quite some time but uh yeah i think they probably are still continuing it maybe i'm not out. sure i'm gonna look it up go for it uh and then sharon horgan for bad sisters which i've never heard of and then carrie russell for the diplomat it's still going it is still, still going still wow going. there you go that's crazy. So, and then just to talk about some other major things with the nominations, supporting actor, it is entirely Succession <laughs> and The White Lotus. Yep. If you were on one of those shows, you get nominated, mm-hmm. and it is just a complete shutout. It's either a Succession or a White Lotus actor. Uh, for supporting actress, sort of the same thing, but Bray Seahorn from Better Call Saul is included as one of the supporting actress nominations. Mm-hmm. Maybe which is win. great. And I hope she does. But once again, Better Call Saul always gets snubbed. But I would say she absolutely should win compared to the rest of the people that are there, which like you could argue that Ray Seahorn, especially in that last season, should have been like considered a lead actress. And yeah, she's still getting put in this sort of supporting role, which I guess mm-hmm. makes sense. Like the back half of Better Call Saul, she was more reduced. So I can understand, like, okay, maybe yeah, for that season six B, she is supporting more so. But again, she was amazing when she was in it. Like that whole episode in black and white in Florida, like all of that was fantastic. So I hope they do it. They probably won't, but it's like I don't know. I feel like she is definitely compared to the rest of the pack there, the most essential supporting player in that, you know, for that show that she's in. So. We will see. We'll get our hopes up and we'll get disappointed once again. But yeah. And then same deal with the guest actor stuff. Last of Us and Succession were the only shows that got nominated for um, this category, which once again, meaning no people from Better Call Saul. So no Brian Cranston, no Michael McKean, no Jonathan Banks for their roles, especially in that final episode. That's crazy to me. And then also Andy Serkis, Stellan Skarsgård for the show Andor, which we absolutely loved last year. What a great surprise. Yeah. Kirk, were you able to catch that? I've only seen the first episode. I haven't made it through the, through the rest oh, of it yet. I know. Oh, man. You and I haven't, seen any, I haven't seen any of Better Call Saul. Oh, so, my God. I know. Oh, I know. Did you watch Breaking <laughs> Bad? 
I did. I watched all of Breaking Bad. You got to watch Better Call Saul, man. Yeah, I know. I'm a bad TV watcher. Oh, so good. <laughs> it is great. We've had debates before on whether or not Better Call Saul is as good as Breaking Bad. Yeah. So that should tell you the quality of it. So it's definitely worth a watch. And then Andor as well, also magnificent. You should definitely give that a go as well. You got to watch the first mm-hmm. three episodes all in one go, though. Okay. okay They're yeah. sort of in like three episode batches. Yeah. The first episode on its own, which we had talked about it before, like briefly, Dylan, when we were doing stuff, but they just don't care for like regular television structure and getting yeah. cliffhangers <laughs> and like things to bring you back. Yeah. They, he just makes like three episode arcs. Okay. And then I just like, like splits them up randomly in between, it feels like. Yeah. So. You really got to treat them as like, okay, I'm going to watch yeah. a movie, basically these three episodes together. Okay. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, it is amazing. Andy Serkis, Selen Skarsgård, they're phenomenal. And again, I said it before and I'll still say it. There's like one episode that has two of the best monologues I've heard in recent times. Yeah. And it's all in one episode of a random Star Wars show. That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely worth your time for that as well. Okay. And also, Man. shout out, uh, no guest actress nomination for Jamie Lee Curtis for The Bear. That's ridiculous. She's incredible in that show. She's I have absolutely not, incredible. I've not seen The Bear. I got to get around to it. But I've heard, sure. yeah, there's a lot of guest uh, stuff. Although, uh, The Bear's nominations are all for season one. This most recent season that they just dropped mm-hmm. is ineligible. So I don't know if Jamie Lee Curtis was for well, one then, or two. Never mind. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Next year, especially if there's a whole void, maybe we'll see a bunch of the Bear nominations and it'll just be every guest actor in the Bear because I heard there's like a whole bunch of them. So. Oh, a huge amount. It's crazy. Yeah. So there we go. You're going to take that uh, uh, succession void and, and take over. Seems like it. Uh, Kirk, you watching the Bear? Are I watched the first season it? of the Bear. Oh, there you go. The second okay. season of the Bear dropped when I was rewatching all the Mission Impossible movies over and over again. So. <laughs> Couldn't fit it in. Gotcha. All right. Let's now talk about the box office breakdown for July 7th to the 9th. Insidious the Red Door was able to dethrone Indiana Jones. It made $33 million in its opening weekend. More than both of us thought it would make. That's I know incredible. way more than both of us. Turns out people still like the Insidious franchise. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And then after that was, of course, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny with $27 million. After that was Sound of Freedom with 19.6 million. Elemental film, with. Oh, sorry. sorry but I was just going to say yeah, a film that we didn't have on the predictions the previous week and that people probably haven't heard of because it released on July 4th. But yeah, this is definitely becoming a juggernaut and a word of mouth hit. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Expect that to be high on the list next week as well. Mm-hmm. After Sound of Freedom was Elemental with 10 million. Across the Spider Verse, 8 million. Joyride, 5.8 million. Which was way below both of what we had said. Yeah. Uh, no Hard Feelings with 5.4 million. Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, 5.1 million. The Little Mermaid, 3.6 million. <laughs> Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, 2.8 million. And then outside of the top 10, The Flash, 2.2 million. In its fourth weekend, already dropped out with 105 million domestic, 228 million worldwide. What an insane bomb. Horrible. So tragic. Wow. Disgusting. That is horrible. So no wonder it got dropped from my uh, from my roster. But a film that is on my roster and that I'm hoping is going to do gangbusters, do amazing, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. 
So Fallout made $61 million in its opening back in 2018. It went on to make $791 million worldwide. So what are we thinking for the opening weekends for Dead Reckoning? I was going to say 65 to $70 million. I think that's pretty safe. I know there was people hoping for a, a bump from Top Gun, kind of a spillover of like, oh yeah, that's right. I like seeing Tom Cruise in movies mm-hmm. and hoping people would come back. I don't know. I've seen it twice now. Both times my theaters were packed, but that's not always as good of an indication as it should be. Right. Yeah. The thing to consider with this is it did open on Wednesday. So the three-day opening will be a little bit different since it already has had a couple full days for people to go in and see it. Uh, like both of you have seen it. I have not yet. <gasps> jelly, but I'll get around to it this upcoming week. It'll be glorious. But yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to help out this uh, opening weekend. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking... I'm thinking somewhere around Fallout, like getting around sixty million. But Mission Impossible has never been a franchise that's opened huge, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it makes sense that it would still stay around this. And then, based on the word of mouth, it'll hopefully have a lot of great holds for the rest of the summer, and bring it to a nice, nice total worldwide that'll fit nicely into my roster. But yeah, let us now start talking about the Mission Impossible films. So. Way back when, a few years ago, do you remember, Kirk, when we had mm-hmm. the uh, the Fast and Furious, or was it the James Bond one that came first? Fast, Fast and Furious was first. Was first. And mm-hmm. I have to say, I recently listened to your final review of Fast Five. Let's oh, yeah? <laughs> I, I take umbrage with the statement that, was, that, that I was crushed in that, because I also <laughs> went back and listened to that final <laughs> portion of the Cinema Showdown. And it was close. It was neck and neck there for a while until you discovered the amnesia plotline. And then everything kind of went south for me. That's what I was saying. Yeah, it was close. Dylan was maybe doing some revisionist history there, Uh (laughs) his performance in that. But yeah, that was the amnesia plotline. I was just like, yeah, I remember despising that one element, Mm -hmm. (laughs) seeing that in the trailer. I'm so glad that you finally got to watch the the Fast and Furious movie with the most realistic stunts, like when they drag a bank vault through the streets of of Europe. Really just and it's incredible. And it's and it's totally a different category from just having a long runway. But I'm entertained. But I'm entertained. If I'm watching them drive down this giant runway, I'm pissed (laughs) off. Because it doesn't make any sense and it's not entertaining either. It does not entertain me at all. Wow, who'd have thought we'd have a part two? Maybe Uh one day when the the next Fast and Furious film comes out. I can watch Fast and Furious 6, and then we'll have the final judgment on which one I prefer. Oh, please, dude. <laughs> That'll, be fair. I'll watch That'll be pretty funny. I still haven't seen Fast X, so I don't know. Oh, me neither. I, mean, I haven't either. Yeah, yeah, Dylan hasn't watched it yet. We, so we'll do it like for that whenever it releases, but yeah, I mean, yeah we don't have to watch the film itself. I mean, we didn't yeah. talk about F9 <laughs> before. We haven't talked about Fast X. Uh-huh. Probably won't talk about the next one. Um, but yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> nice little closure ending the loop on uh, that Fast and Furious episode but yeah in that episode we had talked about you and ryan mayers were doing a triple binge watch through three different franchises oh yes it was the fast the fast and the impossible trek where we interlaced the eight at the time fast and furious movies with the however many um mission impossible movies and the star trek movies all together jesus christ yeah it was it was rough. 
I can imagine. <laughs> Ryan got COVID at one point and he was watching from his room and I managed to prop up a mirror across our couch <laughs> so he could watch. I remember this. Of, I think Furious 7 oh, through a mirror. Desperate times, desperate measures. It was, we were, we were in our feelings on that. It's like a whole new movie being reflected. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so talk about your experience with the Mission Impossible ones specifically. I oh. know this franchise is definitely one that you enjoy greatly so it is i love i love all of the mission impossible movies i even have a certain affinity for two which we'll get into but (laughs) i've watched i've seen i think it started we had seen um our like hometown gym has a a cardio room where they play movies and i saw the burj khalifa sequence in ghost protocol in there for the first time and just blew me away and so after that i think my family went to see go uh Rogue Nation, and then I saw Fallout the summer that uh, Movie Pass was still a thing. Oh yeah! And so man. I saw Fallout like four or five times in the theaters and just loved it, and went back and watched them all over and over again. I love this series, so I'm very excited to be here today. Nice, Dylan. What about you? What's your history with the Mission Impossible franchise? I remember, I think the first one I saw was also Ghost Protocol. I watched it with my family on New Year's Eve one year. And it was like, it was one year when we went in. And then when we left the theater, <laughs> it was the next year. Like we we completely skipped the New Year celebration to watch Ghost Protocol. And wow. then I really, really liked it because it was just mind blowing. I think between then and Rogue Nation, I saw the first three just to catch up. And I remember I don't remember like binging, binging them, but I probably watched them all within a week. And uh, I remember thinking that they were vastly different than Ghost Protocol. Like it felt like a very different franchise at the time. And then shortly after that, Rogue Nation came out and I saw that and I was like, it was all right. Like it it was no Ghost Protocol, of course, but like it still had good moments. But it felt like a little forgettable. Like I still don't even remember much of what happens in Rogue Nation, other than the plane sequence at the beginning, and then the sequence where he jumps in the big tub of water. And then Fallout came out. And did I see that with you, Ryan, or did I see it with my dad? I don't remember. Um, both, because I went multiple I, times. Yeah, it possibly. I can't remember. I, I feel like I also went with my dad at least one time and then i don't know if that was back when i was like watching rewatching films in theaters though so i don't think yeah i saw it a second time but yeah it could have been us together i remember remember being very very pumped for it and very very excited and i saw it multiple times like kirk did because i think it is the best mission impossible i've ever seen in my life like it's just so so phenomenal it was in my top five movies of that year if you remember ryan i think it was in your top five too uh I don't know. I mean, it probably was, but again, that was 2018. So we weren't doing it for the show. I don't think at that point we didn't do no, like we a did. top 10 list. We did, did it for 2018 because we did we for recorded, 19. Well, we recorded it in 2019, but we did our top five. Maybe. I remember. We'll have to go back. But that would be like in the archives though, right? That'd be like. Oh yeah. That was like when we were doing the radio show. Yeah. We'll have to when go we back and try the, and find but that. It wasn't because nowadays we do our top 10 and we go back and forth. But at yeah. the time it was just top five. I remember Mission Impossible was on there. And so was The Favorite, because The Favorite was my favorite movie of that year. Mm. All right. You don't remember this? I don't. We'll have to oh go back and God. see. I'll... I'm going to dig through the scripts while you recount your experience with the Mission Impossible movies, right? Yeah. All right. So I'm 
same with y'all. I watched Ghost Protocol the first time. I remember going to see that in theaters. And I had never seen any of those previous ones before it. But then every new Mission Impossible film that came out, I went and saw it. And I agree with y'all. Fallout, of course, is incredible, magnificent. So, yeah, we will. What we're going to do here is they have Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Part 2. Allegedly, we'll see with the actor strike and everything, because uh, apparently they haven't fully finished filming mm-hmm. part two. So next year, again, allegedly, so when it was supposed to come out, we will have to see. I doubt that'll happen now. But when that does get released in preparation for that, we will do what we did here and we'll talk about the second trilogy. So we'll talk about Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation and Fallout. And then we'll talk about Dead Reckoning. And just the same way, we'll talk about Dead Reckoning Part 2 afterwards. Next week, we will talk about Dead Reckoning Part 1. So, Kirk, hopefully you'll be able to join us again for that conversation. Yes, That'd please. be lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my affinity for the franchise, yeah, Star Wars Ghost Protocol. I really enjoyed it. Like It's a great, fun time at the movie theaters. A great blockbuster experience. I never went back and rewatched the first three, though. I was just content enough with entering the franchise when I did. Um, And we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But this is certainly a franchise where you don't need to watch the previous ones in order to really understand what's happening. Um, And I also think what's fascinating about this franchise is, and you were sort of talking about this, Dylan, it's so different. Like the very first film compared to Fallout, and then I'm sure Dead Reckoning as well. The just approach to action filmmaking has evolved so much so it's just wildly different films the and i think that's a big credit to the franchise like i really like something like that it's also been running for close to 30 years now like just the film franchise itself that is also bonkers and insane but i love it because we get to see through each film again like another stepping stone in just how blockbuster cinema and action cinema where it's at and what it's trying to do for the audience and how it's trying to portray itself so that i think is really fascinating the gaps between movies is the biggest for any franchise i think like even just these three films we're talking about alone it was a full decade from the first film to last film Mm. like that is wild so and then again we had three more after that um which was another full decade in between like Mission Impossible 3 to Fallout even more than a full decade. So wild stuff there. But yeah, I was excited to go back, rewatch, well, watch for the first time for me, but, you know, get my bearings with the beginning of this franchise, the first three films, and see where it all started. So yeah, we'll go ahead and start talking about them. Were you able to find it, Dylan? Our old no. uh, God. little thing. <laughs> I'm tearing through them, and I've got nothing before February of 2019 because I think that's when mm-hmm. we started. But I, I, I have a very vivid memory of talking about the five top movies, and for me, two of them were the favorites. One of them was the favorite. One of them was Spider Man because Spider Man came out that year. Right. One of them was Fallout. One of them, God, I, I have a very, very vivid memory of this. Fuck, mm. I can't remember. Yeah, we'll have to go back through and try and scour. This we is probably didn't do though. a. Well, just I was going to say, you guys were both going to be freshmen that fall of 2018, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we that's like, you know, the summer before we're going into 
like film school or just being interested in media and coming across this like peak action cinema in the midst of like the dredge of, or what could be considered the dredge of the mission of like the fast and furious franchise or any of these other action franchises where you come in and you're like, Oh, I've been like watching all this stuff to get ready for the fall. And this is something just totally like life changing. Yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Now let's start where it all began. The very first film mission impossible. And I guess before we jump into that, I mean, we should acknowledge as well. It's, an adaptation of a show that was in the 60s and 70s, right? It ran from... In the 60s, yeah. and then there was a revival in the uh, in the 80s as well. Second right. series, yeah. So that is where the you know, Mission Impossible franchise, I guess, truly began, that television series. Have any of you watched any of the episodes for that? Nope. No. I haven't watched any of them, but I know that one of the characters... Uh, Jim Phelps, who's the character that John Boyd plays in the first movie, is one of the characters from the, I think, the 60s TV show, the same character name. So it's supposed to be kind of an extension of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was looking that up because I saw that same piece of uh, trivia where, yeah, Phelps was the leader of the team. He didn't start out that way, like the season one for the original Mission Impossible series had someone else. But then they, I don't know, something with the actor, they sort of had to phase that guy out and then brought in a different leader who was Jim Phelps. And then for the revival, they brought back Jim Phelps to be like mm. the older leader of the team, like giving them their missions and whatnot. And then for, yeah, the first film, 1996, Mission Impossible, they brought back the character Jim Phelps, not the actor. Of course, John Boyd was not uh, playing him in those series, but. Yeah, they still had the same character. And I was trying to see as well if any of the other team members were from that original series, but it doesn't seem like they were those so. were created for this. But they did have the name Jim Phelps um, and have that same character. So like drawing on anyone's sort of familiarity for the, the TV series. And we'll talk about how mm-hmm. bold of a decision that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, we're going to get into all sorts of spoilers with these films. Yeah. So if you haven't seen them, go ahead and watch them. And then come back and listen. But yeah, we'll just start off with what I think is such a crazy thing to do, especially in today's like landscape. We're trying to have crossovers and revivals, all these different IP and things like that and legacy sequels and whatnot. The idea of bringing in a legacy character and then making him the bad guy, like Mm -hmm. a complete destruction of that character being like, oh, he's actually... He's the mole. He's the rat. He's trying to kill everyone else on his team and do all this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, like selling off the knock list, like government secrets. That is and just. Not, and not just that, but bringing in a legacy character and a whole other team and killing all of them in the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just now what, insane. I, what I read was that the original idea was that that Mission Impossible team, other than Ethan Hunt and Claire, I guess, was going to be the actors from the original series and then they were going to uh, kill off kill all those all actors. of them that would be amazing and every single actor declined <laughs> <laughs> i bet yeah i wonder why that is just such a bold strategy because again think of like anything from the past thing where any like star wars is a great example of like people are still to this day unbelievably upset and salty about like what's considered the character assassination of luke skywalker and that 
But imagine if he was literally assassinated. (laughs) Imagine if he was like truly evil, like he goes just straight up rogue and does all this stuff. Like that's the the equivalent that they did here. And then imagine if they were bringing back the entire team, all the old actors, and then just see them get killed off viciously in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, I would would be insane. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nowadays, when we're (laughs) decades removed, and now Mission Impossible is associated with Tom Cruise instead of. Phelps and like the original. Could you imagine in that? like 30 years they make a, a Mission Impossible TV show again and then the very like first season, Ethan Hunt <laughs> is like a different actor, but it's the same character and he's mm-hmm. the villain. That's yeah. what I'm saying though. I was thinking like how far is Tom Cruise gonna take this? Because right now he's in the 60s, so he can do it for a little while longer reasonably, but there's a certain point where again, yeah. is he gonna be like Harrison Ford in Dial Destiny, 80 years old doing something? Uh-huh. He wants to be. I know Tom Cruise is now three years older than uh, John Voight was when the first Mission Impossible was released. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. And the so, whole thing in the movie is John Voight is like old and outdated and <laughs> is like just trying desperately not to retire <laughs> and wants to go be evil. That's that's just stunning. So yeah, already again, he's up there being a, Slightly graying, slightly getting wrinkles, although, again, I think he's doing everything he can to get rid of all that so he can still look like that young, amazing action star. But he has been, you know, acknowledging more so that he's getting on the older side. He's going to have to start slowing down and not like Maverick, for instance, like that was a direct plot line of him sort of aging out. And then I haven't seen Dead Reckoning or whatever it is, but I know AI is like a plot element and things like that. So. Someone he's like still killing it, man. I gotta be honest. I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah. He's still like it's. He's still moving like 40 year old Dom Cruise. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. But at some point, again, he will <laughs> slow down. I mean, he can do a lot of things, but he can't beat out the natural aging process. Could <laughs> you imagine so, an 80 year old Tom Cruise still looking great and still doing action scenes? and still sprinting the way he does? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, honestly, yeah, the running that he does so much is probably because I mean, I'm sure run. people were like when he was in his 40s and stuff were like, there's no way he's gonna be doing this in his 60s. Like, there's no way. Yeah, and he's doing it. and He's yeah. killing it. We'll get to this eventually. But the, that was kind of the whole point of Ghost Protocol was to be like, Tom Cruise is getting a little old. Let's bring in Jeremy Renner and have him take mm. over the franchise. Yep. And Tom Cruise said no. <laughs> Which in hindsight is crazy that yeah. 12 years ago is when they were saying, all right, Tom Cruise, we got to get rid of you. And now he's talking about, yeah, we got at least one more in the tank. And then they're saying, actually, Dead Reckoning might not be the finale of the series. Yeah. We may do more. So, yeah. again, that's crazy. But at some point, imagine that he does step aside and he's like, all right, I can't be doing all this. But I want to still be a part of like the franchise. So he he gets slotted into the giving missions role. Like he's the one that's like, oh. I'm running IMF now, but from the mm-hmm. headquarters. But imagine if in a sort then of they like reboot revival, <laughs> they would probably do that. He'd be like, yeah, you got to put me in. I got to save the day. But say at some point they were like, okay, we're going to kill him off. People would get mad at that. People would be angry at seeing Ethan Hunt get killed, even if it was in service of like creating a new lead character for the franchise. Yeah. That's just something that wouldn't be able to happen today without people getting so riled up. So I wonder what, the reaction was back in the day when Phelps turned out to be the villain and then got killed off. Yeah. I mean, it helps that it's like a different actor. And so it's like, okay, it's not, it's not an actual continuation. It's not mm-hmm. set in that original world of the series, but still imagine then people would be pissed off too. If they recast Ethan Hunt to be someone different than Tom Cruise and then yeah. killed him off, like that'd mm-hmm. still be insane. So 
yeah, I don't know what a bold decision they made. And of course, it paid off in the long run. But I mean, yeah, I can't see something like that happening nowadays. Yeah. But yes. Let's talk about it. So that I do think that whole opening sequence with each of the team members getting killed off. It's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, fantastic. Yeah. Through and through, amazing. Like, that's the part of the movie, that, and then, of course, the iconic uh, heist vault thing later mm-hmm. in the movie that we'll get to. Those are the things that stuck out as, like, what I remembered about the movie the most. Yeah. For sure. Easily. It's a very memorable movie, I would argue. Which is It definitely is. Great. I think one of my favorite things about this movie that they don't bring over into any of the other movies is that instead of just, they do one or two pure mask gags, but there are times when Tom Cruise... The person that Tom Cruise is trying to go undercover as is just Tom Cruise in makeup. Like that senator from Kentucky. It's just Tom Cruise in makeup. So they can just do that and have Mm -hmm. him like really impersonating. And I think that's a much more interesting. It doesn't look as good. It looks like, is that Tom Cruise in makeup? But (laughs) it like prosthetics. Uh, But I think it's a much more kind of interesting way to, to show up actual like Tom Cruise's acting Mm. prowess instead of just having because when we get later down in the series you have like tom cruise as ethan hunt as philip seymour hoffman as owen davies (laughs) like so many levels removed but i think it's fun to have this is really tactile and i also think it's fun to see like other actors play the characters playing other characters like i think the layers of that are also interesting Mm -hmm. like uh like i like when when Ethan Hunt has to like put on a, a, a mask, but it's like a, a very minor character. So that actor gets to be Ethan Hunt for like 10 minutes in the movie. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's fun. Imagine being that guy. You're like, oh, I get to be Ethan Hunt in these scenes. That's cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. Or like yeah. being Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're like, okay, so I get to be do these action sequences, even though like my character isn't like the biggest action yeah. person, but I get to do the action scenes because uh, Ethan Hunt gets to do them. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, right? Right. You said this was your first time watching this mission impossible yeah this one this is one where it's like we're bits and pieces and through cultural osmosis i've known a lot of it like i knew the stuff of the team gets killed in the beginning i knew i mean obviously the iconic vault heist thing i've seen like that scene in full a couple different times so yeah there are bits and pieces of it that definitely like i i've recognized before gotcha Um, i'm curious how did you have any trouble understanding the plot because that's something that i've heard a lot. And I think I had a little bit of kind of fuzzing over the first time I watched it because there is a lot going on kind of needlessly, it, in my opinion. But yeah, it was yeah. a bit convoluted in areas. So I did sure. feel myself, yeah, like my eyes glazing over for some of the explanations mm-hmm. they're trying to do and yeah. how they're getting from one place to another. The idea that the whole to this beginning, person's motivations. The whole beginning is that they're trying to photograph somebody stealing the knockalist in order mm-hmm. to like get him arrested, but then he's not actually stealing the knock list because it's not actually there. So then he has, Ethan Hunt has to now go undercover or go rogue and steal the knock list so that he can sell it to a buyer. So he can learn who was originally going to steal the knock list and kill his team to prove that it wasn't him is yeah. is a very convoluted plot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very overcomplicated. It's crazy. That this it's is insane. Brian De Palma's movie. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. It's fascinating. And then I, went, I went back through his filmography this is the last good movie he ever did. <laughs> the rest of them have just not been very notable. So this is it, like Brian De Palma's last big hurrah was Mission Impossible. Yeah. It is sad. I mean, yeah, he hasn't made many films at all in the past couple decades. Like, yeah. once the new century hit, he sort of just took a step back. Uh, but this was certainly his last 
biggest hit on the biggest hits of his career. But yeah, he was so prolific in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Um, And yeah, he just, I don't know. I don't know what happened, why he stepped away. But yeah, that Star is. Starface, Blowout, like Untouchables, some great movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Carry, Body Double, Dress to Kill. Yeah. yeah. Casualties War, which I like a lot. Um, he's definitely one that we'll have to do a director analysis on at some point because yeah. he's very fascinating. And he definitely, I think his style, which he imbues into this film a lot, I think that helps set it apart and makes it yeah, much more like acceptable for a lot of the, the things that go on. Like we talk about the convoluted plot and things like that. I think there's some characters that just don't fundamentally work like Claire Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that more like in concept is really good but i think in yeah. execution it just the tone of this was sort of fumbled really cool. like if, even though it's like a mission impossible movie it feels especially the prog sequences feel more like a, a noir thriller than any it's other. a thriller yeah, yeah which is Definitely so de palma yeah. like that's yeah. what he brought to it which, which i thought so was great. exciting and i yeah. love that yeah. this is the only mission impossible movie to have like split diopter shots like yeah. <laughs> i saw that i was like interesting it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen anywhere else <laughs> yeah true so yeah, he puts a lot of flourishes and yeah, his whole tone, his whole approach again is very much against that. Like the whole prog sequence, like that is very well constructed and very much in De Palma's mold and just visually as well. Like the blue fog that's covering them throughout that city. Mm-hmm. That is very visually striking. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, just the way he slowly builds up to each of the members getting like destroyed and some crews running around trying to see what's destroyed. happening. Destroyed. Yeah. yeah. It's also it's one of those sequences that... I think is gets better on a rewatch. It's one of the, yeah. it's one that really holds, once you know the twist, it actually really holds up. Like you can tell the moment when he puts in the code to make the elevator go up and kill Emilio Estevez. Like that, if, you know, if you know that that's what he's doing, you can see exactly when he does it. Bro, Emilio Estevez getting that shit rammed through his throat, like <laughs> gave me nightmares when I was a kid. I know that was really yeah. dark. I was like, yeah, it was very, very dark and scary. I was like, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but yeah, another notable thing Tavoma adds is his uh, Dutch angles, which mm-hmm. he used to great effect in the, the Shark Tank restaurant mm-hmm. when he had that conversation, which that was really fantastic too, both in the acting, but yeah, us- utilizing that um, very splashy and notable sort of camera trick. But it's like for a reason, like we are seeing it being used when the world is sort of crashing around on Ethan Hunt and he's realizing something else is going on here. And I am about to be blamed for my entire team dying. Mm-hmm. So imagine coming off of that, like your whole team is dead. You failed your mission. And then now you're about to get considered the the mole and then get blamed for it. So that whole thing was great. Him saying, like, follow me around the room and noting all the other IF, IMF agents that were at the uh, the ballroom. Just fantastic. That whole thing was amazing. And then utilizing the the gum explosive that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was in Milo Estevez that was, that was explaining it to him earlier. Was he the, yeah. the tech guy? Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty great. He's the proto-Benji. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. For sure. And Henry Cerny just chewing all the scenery as Kittredge. Really just making a meal in that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> really fantastic i love him so much (laughs) yeah he's great so yeah that whole thing i thought was fantastic um but then yeah later on once we get to him trying to 
decode like the Job three fourteen, low job three fourteen, Job three fourteen. Um, I was like, okay, an interesting approach to it. We see him like sending off messages on old school nineties message <laughs> boards. I thought <laughs> that was great. Dated, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get the whole Claire thing, which again, like that felt like very much in the mold of old noir or old thrillers. Uh, so I was I was down for that. I was like, okay, this is right in De Palma's wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't think it went anywhere. I don't think she was that compelling. I don't think mm-hmm. Tom Cruise and that actress had much chemistry either. No, yeah. which is kind of a, a major issue throughout this franchise. We'll talk a lot about in the later films. But um, yeah, there just didn't seem to be like a genuine spark there. So I wasn't that invested in it. Even though again, like him getting involved with the now ex-wife of his team leader who then he later finds out is the villain and all that like it was a good attempt but yeah it just didn't quite hit the mark i would say mm-hmm. i think one yeah, of the I things agree. that's that's really interesting about this movie is this is tom cruise's first movie as a producer this is the mm. first movie he and his partner Paula Wagner ever like produced. So the character of Ethan Hunt is not just something that he showed up and got on the page and was like, okay, yeah, I can do all these things. Like he's from the start molding this character and letting it do close-up magic and like be able to hang from the ceiling and anything he wants. And I think it's really interesting that we we know very little about Ethan Hunt, even in, through like the third one when he becomes a wife guy. And mm-hmm. just the fact that he's so kind of malleable as a character. This is maybe the most backstory we get on him with like his mom's farm with his uncle who True, gets yeah. like framed for meth <laughs> dealing. Is that what it is? Yeah. And we never really see them. I was wondering that too. I'm like, oh, they mentioned that. And then in three, in mm-hmm. possible three, they like sort of kill them off. Yeah. So we never actually see him interact with his mom or yeah. Uncle Donald as Uncle Donald. Uh, we is. learn yeah. he is. But yeah, that gets mentioned and they get like randomly arrested. Yeah. Um, so that Gittridge can try and bring Tom Cruise in. So yeah, I thought that was fascinating. We got some elements of his actual family life, but without mm-hmm. ever seeing it come out uh, and, you know, him interacting with them. But speaking towards you know tom cruise trying to set himself up for being a very cool action star mm-hmm. the vault heist Ugh. that thing which of course became Just iconic incredible. yeah it is fantastic like it is the way that it is able to compile all these different factors and different dangers that might make the mission go wrong mm-hmm. all in one sort of thing and it's clearly laid out to the audience like we understand exactly what each of these things mean and what sort of parameters they have with like the noise meter the pressure plates that with any amount of pressure are gonna mm-hmm. explode the guy that is gonna be coming back into the the vault <laughs> very soon i think it should be noted that the guy that's going back into the vault cia analyst william dunlow in 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 doing research into these movies and like looking into the actor who plays in like his his background I came across that he's credited to make a return in Dead Reckoning Part 2 as <laughs> William Dunlow. Now that that's is so weird. interesting. He'll be back. Isn't oh that crazy? That is insane. And it kind of, oh, I'm really excited for next week when we actually get to talk about 
part one, because I think there's a lot of interesting things going on with that movie and the rest of the franchise, but specifically the first movie. Mm-hmm. And so that, that makes me really excited for part two. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So, but yeah, in this one, his first appearance, <laughs> um, we get to see yeah, him sort of off doing his own thing, like going to the bathroom and then trying to make his way back. So that's another like time element, a ticking clock that they have to face. Mm-hmm. So it's just really well done. In- we get introduced to Luther, Phineas Freak. <laughs> Very true. So yeah, that was great as well. I loved his him <laughs> explaining the mission to him and talking about like how absurd it is and mm-hmm. again impossible it is going to be. Um, so yeah, that was a fun way to bring him and the the other guy. I forget his name. I'll start with a K, I think. But, yeah, um, I know you're the French guy. Yeah. Yeah, but bring them Beyond into the professional. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was the guy that was up there holding the cables, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then the rat shows up in the vent. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was all really great. And then yeah, a couple dynamite shots in there too of the like close up on the eye, like the sweat dripping down the glasses, uh-huh. and we see Tom Cruise's eye like tracking it down. Yeah, very fun stuff there. So I think it's interesting. They as soon as he like as he's getting lowered into the room the sound completely cuts out. It's not like there's even any like just background noises. It is completely dead. They just drop the music bed out altogether. And I think it's fascinating how that is like infinitely more suspenseful than anything because it makes you lean in and listen for any sort of hint of anything that could make them go over their their decibel limit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great choices there. So that was great. Later on, we get the phelps's return and all that and then this was so because i've watched all three of these in quick succession so they like blend together and whatnot so do you guys remember so phelps is like talking about what happened like how he escaped and lived but then mm-hmm. we're being shown flashbacks which reveal that he's actually the villain and was like yes a part of all this but ethan hunt doesn't know it at that point right i don't, I don't think he figures it out until like two scenes later, something like mm-hmm. that. By the time by the time Ethan is actually on the train, he knows. But I don't Great. think I think I think that's just being shown to us. I don't think that's Ethan realizing what's happening. I moment. think from what I gathered from it is when he's because they have that scene in the diner where Ethan Hunt is like putting it together, but because he said Kittredge was the villain, right? Yeah. But but Ethan Hunt already saw the book. In the Did he see the Bible before? The, okay. Yeah, he already saw the Bible from uh, the Chicago Hotel. Gotcha. And so I think in his mind, he's thinking Claire might be the mole because Claire was married to Jim who was at the Chicago Hotel. Mm-hmm. And then he sees Jim alive at the train station. And Jim saying that it's Kittredge and not Claire, I think is the giveaway of, oh, so Jim is the mole because who gotcha. else would have brought that Bible? Yeah. And he, why else would he say Kittredge? So he is in his mind like uh, – putting together that it was Jim who did it and like could have done it, but he is going along with the fact that it might have like going along with it being Kitcher's mm-hmm. away. So like what he's saying and what he's thinking are two different things. And we're like seeing that we're putting it together with him while yeah. he's also covering for himself. Yeah. I think it's a cool sequence. I think that sequence works better on, on rewatch. Cause I think the first time it's a little confusing to, yeah. Just He's the, talking about the disparity. Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But then yeah. he like he pictures Claire being involved, and then he goes, "But wait, maybe she wasn't." And like he says it out loud, and then mm-hmm. reimagines that sequence, but as Jim doing it, yeah. so that he can like get away with Claire being a good guy again because he has a crush on Claire. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I she did think that it. element was notable. Where he's like, "Oh, maybe it was someone else that mm-hmm. like triggered the bomb that it destroyed the mm-hmm. car." But yeah, that was an interesting element. But yeah, I guess on rewatch it would have made more sense because for me yeah i didn't realize this was even hunt putting it together i thought it was just mm-hmm. being shown to us i didn't realize he had already noticed the the bible thing that yeah he said but he did say later on he was like oh how'd you find out and ethan was like oh the bible thing Damn so Gideons. he did yeah. like call back to that as being the thing that did it but i didn't realize this was putting two and two together for mm-hmm. sure so yeah i guess on rewatch i would come across a lot better but i did like those flashback sequences like that was definitely well done i was just like why are we being shown this now if Ethan isn't also in the know but I guess he was so mm-hmm. yeah and then we have later on the train thing some face mask hijinks where mm-hmm. he tricks Claire to get confirmation so that was nice I think that's the first time in the movie where they do like the hyper realistic mask where it's just John yeah. playing the character which yeah, is yeah. why it's such a good twist so no, doesn't that happen in the in the cold open no, because don't they, they don't it, do a mask pull in the cold open. It is, but it's also just Tom Cruise with makeup. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So the whole movie is just it's a series of Tom Cruise with makeup on. And you yeah. think that's how they're just going to do it. Because I think that's how they probably did it in the original. Yeah, show. yeah, yeah. And then and then the face reveal where it's, it's John Voight and he's sitting there quietly. And you think it's actually John Voight, but he pulls mm-hmm. off a hyper-realistic mask. And, and it's actually hot. Good. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And then we have the... The train sequence with the helicopter. Ooh, the helicopter and into the tunnel. The tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. So great. And we got our first in the series of Mission Impossible movies, like just killing off their villains altogether. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's every single villain except for um, the Fallout villain. He's the only one who gets arrested. <laughs> Everybody <Yeah>. else dies. <laughs> Except for Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill gets it in the face. I know, he still gets, gets destroyed. Yeah. And I was like, dang, we could have kept him around. That was, yeah. that was a great character. Yeah, um, nah, that, was a good, that was a good way to go. That was oh, good, yeah. Good I mean, yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, yeah, a little dated on the, the effects there, but it was yeah. still a fun yes, idea me. of having a chopper yeah. go under the tunnel. That whole thing uh-huh. really falls apart, man. Why? Yeah. Why does Jim shoot his wife? Why does he not just shoot Ethan? <laughs> I don't get that either. I don't understand. I also don't know why he let him put the glasses on. It was like, no matter yeah. what he's about to do, why would That's you really let him do it? dramatic <laughs> glasses reveal. Like, yeah. You have a gun he's reaching for. Just yeah. shoot him. Yeah. Exactly. Like, he could be reaching for a gun or another one of the, like, bombs yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Even if it's a glasses as well, you know what the glasses are for. You know what they do. They're yeah. video cameras, so don't let him put it on. Yeah, that's, um, that that's the one sequence that, like, I, th- I think the some of the, the train hijinks, like, inside are kind of enough. I, f- I think the, the action sequence outside, and I haven't done any research on that to figure out, but it, that feels more like a studio thing of, like, hey, we, we're making a Mission Impossible movie. You've made this really tight, like, grounded thriller Let's get some pizzazz in there. Let's fly a helicopter into a into a tunnel, right? <laughs> like, because everything else, it 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 really just totally does not match with the with the rest of the movie. It's yeah. true. So yeah, that might be a note De Palma was given, and he had to sort of factor that in. 
Although, yeah, the Claire thing, I don't really understand why yeah. that happened. Why? So were they actually in love, like Phelps and Claire? Was that a thing? Because, again, why would he have just know. shot her? What was the point there? Um, because he that didn't love was, his boy. Yeah. That did seem like a, uh, a De Palma thing and not a studio note thing. Mm-hmm. He has uh, some issues with his female characters. So <laughs> that was probably De Palma's vision coming to life. He's like, ah, let's just, let's just shoot Claire. Let's <laughs> just, just have her, her. Yeah. No, like, no, okay. no, John, you want to shoot your wife because you love your wife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, I would just shoot Ethan. Like, he's right there. No, no, no. Just no, aim. No, no, no. Just John, shoot the woman. Shoot her. Shoot like, the she woman. needs to uh-huh. die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Ethan is the man. You shoot the woman, John. <laughs> Have you seen any of my movies? Exactly. So that was wild. And then the the tunnel sequence at the end, too. It made no sense as well why Ethan jumped onto the helicopter to plant the gum on it. To get yeah. to jump off, like blast off when the explosion happens. He could have just chucked it from the train so it could land on the helicopter and then it would blow up. Yeah. And there's no reason for that. But again, it was like, okay, it looked cool him jumping onto the the helicopter and climbing up there, but definitely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I still think despite that, overall a lot of the style that the film had was great. And then getting to see that different approach. Because again, we're never gonna go back to that thing it's the same thing of like the 90s batman films when it becomes campy again mm-hmm. like batman forever and batman robin mm-hmm. i appreciate those so much more now just because we will never ever get a campy batman again he's dark yeah. and brooding for the rest of his life yeah it's never going to change so the fact that we got that especially mm-hmm. after we had a dark batman with tim burton the fact that we were able to pivot back to that for a little bit i appreciate those films more just because it's a different side of batman for this film again i think these the later things that we talk about gets protocol fallout that stuff definitely is better like the full non-stop like roaring action and amazing stunts and all that i think is the superior version of a mission impossible film and that's definitely what it's going to stay as no matter what until again mm-hmm. tom cruise can no longer sprint at full speed mm-hmm. but getting to see this more like thriller approach to a mission impossible film rather than the wild wall-to-wall stunts and you know james bond-esque sort of approach i think that is what makes it so compelling yeah so overall yeah i still really enjoyed this film any last minute thoughts you all want to throw out about the first one no i mean i just had a good time it has yeah. moments it's not written very well but it's it's filmed very well and it's very yeah, definitely yeah the filmmaking is definitely better than the than the script mm-hmm. yeah all right then how many bubblegum bombs out of five are you going to give it don't. I give it three and a half. All I right. give it a four. I give it a solid four. Yeah. Nice. I'm giving it a 3.5 as well. Yeah. Right. On the strength of its directing there, De Palma gives a lot. I think that sets it up. If it didn't have him and it was just like the plot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Tom Cruise is great, but I still don't think there would be much he would be able to do to take it from just sort of an average mm-hmm. actioner. Um, yeah. But yeah. All right. Mission Impossible 2. Vastly Oof. Vastly <laughs> different. Huge <laughs> departure from Mission Impossible 1. We've got John Woo in the director chair now. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. talk about a completely different director than Brian De Palma. Vastly different. Same kind of story issues, though. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this movie we, really we gets. Once a again, lot. got in another Mission Impossible movie with, with stories. And what sucks is that the story, in theory, is a lot simpler than the Mission Impossible 1 story. You have a villain who's trying to steal a 
chemical from a pharmaceutical company and then ransom it back to them so that they can it's like it's like there's a chemical that can destroy the world there's a villain that wants it. like in theory that's simple but like they are trying to steal it so that they can ransom it back to the pharmaceutical company so that they can then take that money reinvest it in the pharmaceutical company so that when the pharmaceutical company sells the antidote to the vaccine they make billions and then take over the pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. it's just bizarre and then and the whole movie is like they don't even have the chemical. Like the the whole movie is they're also trying to get the chemical, and it's like at no point do they ever even have it. Yeah. They have Tandiwi Newton at some point who has it in her body, but they don't actually have the disease at all. Mm-hmm. They're just like on the hunt to get it. And in the beginning, when the doctor shoots it into himself, but then they just blow up the plane that he's on. Well, they don't so know they, that it's in him. They think they has it. Yeah, they think he has it somewhere. Stupid. What's even the point of him? Sh- like, what's even the point of that? And then, like, the reveal that Tom Cruise learns that he shot it into his arm. He's like, "You fools! You blew it up." It's like, who cares at this point? It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> who gives a shit? What was the point of him doing that? Like, God, just so bad. It's amazing that you remembered enough of the plot to criticize it <laughs> because it just. I threw one ear and out the other. I was like, I don't care at all. None of this is compelling. You don't remember the chimera disease? I remember Come chimera. On. They yeah. say chimera a lot. So uh-huh. I remember that. But I was like, oh my goodness. This was just, yeah, the, the story, the plot there was not compelling in the slightest. Also, it was extremely boring in the first hour. Like <laughs> oh, it was yeah. rough to get through. I was like, oh no. The, this is the car chase dance between Tandiwi Newton and Tom Cruise. That was yeah. really, really bad. And then you've got like very, a long series of very like dramatic scenes that have no action in them whatsoever. Like the whole yeah. racetrack scene is horribly boring. Mm-hmm. Like, the character dynamics, I don't care about. The whole opening sequence where Ethan Hunt is actually uh, Sean Ambrose and then they hijack the plane and they blow mm-hmm. it up. That was cool. What a yeah. good way to start the movie. I thought so too. Yeah, seeing Ethan Hunt impersonated. The face mask, the face swapping switcheroo stuff was really cool in this movie. Yeah. Like I think they they took that to the max in this mm-hmm. movie, and it, it worked really well. Because in the other ones, it's just kind of for fun, and they do it as like you know, they, they like it's the part of the movie where they do the face mask stuff. But this yeah. one, they like incorporated it really, really well. Because mm-hmm. because yeah, Sean Ambrose is like that person who takes over when Tom Cruise can't be there, and so like yeah. they are in theory supposed to be those. Uh, what is it called, Ryan? Foils. Yes, they're supposed. In theory, they're supposed to be foils of each other, but then they just fucking aren't. It's not well written. <laughs> yeah, I think this was uh, so. My my process, my introduction to two in general was that my family was we had watched Fallout and we were trying to watch the first Mission Impossible, and that one just wasn't available for rent anywhere, and Mission Impossible Two was. And so we just put it on in an evening and turned it off after an hour because we were like, I don't know what's happening. This is this is really boring. I don't get yeah. any of this. But I will say that my process before uh, watching Dead Reckoning was that I knew uh, Kittredge was going to be back. So I decided mm-hmm. to watch them all in reverse order. So I watched from Fallout through to one. And actually, after watching, and I watched like two of them a day. So there was a day where I woke up and watched... Mission Impossible 3, and then the afternoon I watched Mission Impossible 2. And if you have had a lot of action earlier in your day, it's kind of fun to live in the melodrama of the beginning of 2. Mm-hmm. It's not good as an isolated experience. But if you have a lot of that going on, and if you also happen to be like 
working on a puzzle or like cooking dinner or something, <laughs> this is a really excellent movie to have on in the background. Because like you said, the plot itself is very simple. Yeah. And so you can kind of follow that and just kind of check in from once in a while. And that is my preferred viewing method yeah. for Mission Impossible 2. What sucks is that John Woo is like a really good action filmmaker. Like mm-hmm. Face Off is incredible. And it's a very similar concept to this movie mm-hmm. where it's the main characters pretending to be each other a lot. Yeah. So you think that he would like have it under control and know what to do. And I read somewhere that his original cut of the film was three and a half hours long. And the studio made him cut it down to under two hours. Anybody that cuts out an hour and a half of their movie is not going to end up with a good movie. Like, that's too much to cut. I think you should have let him have two and a half hours and, like, tried to make it work. Because I feel like that's where a lot of the plot issues come from is it just – it doesn't make sense because he cut out important scenes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then had to leave in other scenes. Like – the the scene in the beginning where what's his name gets his finger cut off is like it's it's unimportant it's stupid and it doesn't really matter until you watch the rest of the movie when it comes back around and then becomes important because he has a bandage on his finger yeah so that that scene is forced to stay in it even though it's mm-hmm. not really a good scene and that's I don't know. I actually kind of like the relationship between Ambrose and his little his little lackey. It's very homoerotic. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's not developed enough. You have the one scene. I bet there'd not. be more if they left in the other. I want to see the three and a half hour version. Yeah. I want to see John Woo's three and a half hour director's cut of Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. I'm not convinced that it would be. I can't good, imagine it would what, be worse. What are the, I mean, I don't know, man. What could be the other things they include in this? Because I felt already it was like too long when i paused at one point and saw that it was only an hour had passed i was like i was i was feeling a bit nervous about whether i was going to be able to actually commit to Mm -hmm. finishing the rest of it so i i just don't know what else would be included here to like elevate the plot and all that like maybe there are scenes here and there that would be able to spice it up but from what i had seen enough of like that first hour it just wasn't working so adding even more of that i can't imagine it would have been better if it was an hour and a half of pure action that he was throwing in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. But any That's other the plot scenes. You go watch yeah. Face Off. It's nonstop action. It's incredible. Because <laughs> okay. John Woo's a really good – because the action scenes in this movie are actually pretty fucking good. I they, think they, they are. They're, they're, they're just, very ending they're just to... all stuffed at the end. Exactly. I love and the so way they kind of go on a little too long. Yeah. yeah. If that yeah, was also... – No, yeah. go ahead. It, it just – this movie – I mean, it's just a scripting problem is that they have all just – melodrama and like personal relationships and plot in the first two hours and then the last and then the last half hour is just just action and if you could take some of those action set pieces and find a way to move them earlier in the movie and just give it a little more balance some more ebbs and flows it would i think it would be a a fine movie from a plot standpoint they could have had Doug Grace, they could have had Sean Ambrose just actually steal the virus in the beginning of the movie. And then that is the plot point of like Tom Cruise now has to get it back, which would be yeah. more exciting than Sean Ambrose thought he stole it. We don't even know what it is he stole. He didn't even steal it in the first place, but he's still trying to steal it. Now you have to spend an hour doing undercover work to figure out A, what he stole and B, the fact that he didn't actually steal it and now you have to steal it yourself. Like the mm-hmm. catch up on that stuff is just not exciting or exhilarating anyway. And it just would have been better if you just skipped to he already stole it. 
maybe we need to figure out what it is first, but that could be a lot quicker than a lot of other things. It sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. It's not, it's just boring. It's slow. It is. And not I think, good. I think part of the problem is like if they hadn't killed off everybody in mission, like say this was a direct sequel to mission yeah. impossible. Say John Voight is still out there and uh, Claire and Ethan are actually like in love and together. And then Claire has to go back undercover and like pretend to go back to John Voight. I think that's a potentially interesting dynamic. Like what Tandy Newton and Ambrose have is potentially interesting, but because we don't, we have no idea who Tandy Newton is. We have to spend 30, 40 minutes at the beginning of the movie somehow caring about her. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. They tried to do that, like build up their relationship and their romance with each other. So, which is good to try and do that. Like, okay, we need to establish them having a relationship, caring about each other. The issue is they just had no chemistry. However, however, poorly, poorly written, poorly done. Like that whole car. Take off your headphones real quick. Take off your headphones. Dead (laughs) reckoning for a second. It ties into this very well. Just take them off. Audience as well. Save yourself. Audience, audience. If you don't want to hear about dead reckoning, just skip like a minute. Wait for when I can come back. Yeah. So, it's crazy because the, the plot is very similar in Dead Reckoning. Like, Haley Atwell is also just a thief who is a regular everyday person that Ethan Hunt yeah. meets. And then yeah. she gets wrapped up in the mystery of it. And they just do it so much better. Like, they just have Way better chemistry. Better. Yeah. And they don't spend so long trying to, like, explain how she fits in the plot. She's just there. And she's just yeah. in it. McHugh has better. a – Yeah, Christopher McQuarrie has, a, has just a, a much better, like – feel for yeah. okay the audience needs to know this it doesn't matter if the audience understands x y and z yeah we'll they'll get figure it out later. they'll just, just go along with the it action, we'll get yeah. there exactly yeah. and then they, they, they incorporate her in the middle of the plot like it's not yeah. like he has to spend 20 minutes finding her in like exactly meeting there's, her, no, there's no trying long to induct her. To yeah her. no yeah he's just in the action like she just gets thrown right into it which is yeah. so much better so much better all right let's bring ryan back yeah <laughs> All right, we're all right. done, Ryan. We talked about our we, we got our dead reckoning rant out. Now uh-huh. you have to go back after you watch the movie and find out that part. Yeah. All right, we'll do be a part of it. Um. Okay. The there are a couple other things I wanted to shout out here. One, Anthony Hopkins being in oh. this film in no other Mission Possible movie. Incredible. Why is this happening? Why has he back. not returned? I know. Uncredited back. too. He's in it uncredited. Uncredited? Is he seriously? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the same way that know. Emilio Estevez was also uncredited in the first one. That's crazy. Yeah. He has, Anthony Hopkins has easily the best line in the entire series, probably, which is, it's not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. <laughs> difficult should be a walk in the park. Yeah, exactly. He just delivers it so well. It's very good. Yeah. He's, He's fantastic. fantastic. So why is he not back? Like, come on, bring this. Man. I don't know. I kind of like, I kind of enjoy the, because with those first three or four we have a new director of the IMF and we have a new every time we have a new director of the of the movies basically yeah, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, a stand-in for the for the director of a movie in a way mm-hmm. to be like all right we're new we're here we get we had Henry Kittredge and now we've got uh Anthony Hopkins and then we get Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> later so like <laughs> we're just cycling through yeah right. and then also the bizarre opening credit sequence of Tom Cruise <laughs> just climbing, it's doing some rock climbing. Rock climbing. It's the most oh, iconic so part of the movie. Yeah. The most iconic part of that movie is him rock climbing. It's awesome. Yeah. 
I just want to know what was the the discussion they had for this. Like, did Tom Cruise, he was just like, you know, I've been getting into rock climbing lately, and I think we need that. I think Ethan Hunt needs to have that skill under his belt. Yeah, it doesn't come up. It doesn't come up until no. maybe maybe Fallout. If you want to say when he's hanging on the cliffside and he climbs up, you're like, oh. I remember when he was doing that in Monument <laughs> Valley or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like in each movie, Tom Cruise has that big stunt that he does. That's like, oh, I can't believe Tom Cruise actually did that. And in Mission mm-hmm. Impossible 2, it's it's the rock climbing thing. Like he's actually out there. Like I think he had wires on for like some of the jumps, but a lot yeah. of it he's free soloing, like for real, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. The most dangerous stunts in that movie are him rock climbing and then trying to look cool while wearing Oakleys. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what a mission delivery device. What a what a title <laughs> sequence. Him tossing the glasses into the camera. Towards the camera the and then uh-huh. I thought that was cool. That's very cool. That is cool in the same way it's that very the, John like, Woo. It is. And the it it's it's like a I don't even know what the best way to but like I think the fact that Limp Biscuit is the one who does like the theme song for this one kind of says a lot. It's just like it's. I don't think it's. I thought it was Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit. I'm. Pre, I'm 99 sure. Oh God. But just like, you're just rocking yeah. out the whole the it's, rock it's and roll just, Mission Impossible yeah. theme. I kind of. I kind of like it. Theming wise, theming wise, it is very consistently themed throughout this movie. It is yeah. vastly different than any of the other Mission Impossibles. Like it's not oh, a jazzy yeah. like, secret agent thing. It's rock and roll. Australia, yeah, motorcycle chase, John Woo, fast pan action, mm-hmm. knife awesome. to the eye. Yeah, I enjoy the action in this movie a lot because I'm a big John Woo fan. So yeah, you know the motorcycle joust has moments. Pretty great. Oh, yeah. so cool. Uh-huh. And then they jump off and hit each other and then land. Yeah. On the <laughs> it's sick. It's so cool. I don't understand the like physics of kicking a gun up into the air. And then catching it and rolling and then shooting instead of just dropping <laughs> to the ground and grabbing the gun. I know it shoot. made no sense, but it looks. Nah, it's but it does look cool. It, it does awesome. look cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, any any other last minute thoughts on MI two? I just have to shout out the the fact that it's a running bit between me and Ryan Mayers, who was on the Cinema Showdowns with me. That the first time we were watching this movie, I pointed out that when Doug Ray Scott has the knife to Ethan's eye. That is a real knife, and it was attached to a steel cable that they just like measured out to the exact distance so that it wouldn't go actually into Tom Cruise's eye. And so now, anytime a cool special effect happens in a movie, Ryan leans over me and goes, "You know, they actually like affixed a steel cable to that. Like when Remy the Rat is like cooking in Ratatouille, like you know, they actually like affixed a steel cable to to the chef's hat so that it wouldn't fly off." <laughs> That's really That's funny. funny. That's insane, though, that they would uh, try and put a real, like, dangle a real <laughs> knife yeah. over this man's uh-huh. eye. Because that was close. I mean, you can see it was yeah. really uh-huh. close. Up. It gets it's like hitting really What's the point yeah. of that? Like, just use a fake thing. I don't know. Thing. The point is the fake knife didn't look real enough to Tom Cruise on the day. <laughs> and he was like, no. The real knife also didn't. I mean. I read somewhere yeah. that <laughs> okay, Tom but... Cruise and John Woo didn't get along so much because John Woo didn't want Tom Cruise to do all of his own stunts. And Tom Cruise says, of course, I'm going to do my own stunts. And so yeah. they fought about it a lot because John Woo was like, you're not you're not a professional. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. Because John Woo works with a bunch of professional stuntmen. And he didn't want Tom Cruise to get hurt because the whole movie's fucked. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is like, no, I'm going to do everything. You're going to put a knife in my eye. I'm actually going to climb those rocks. I'm actually going to spin on the motorcycle. I'm going to do all yeah. this shit. Mm-hmm. And John Woo was pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one that uh, John Woo maybe should have won on was the knife the in knife. the eye. Yeah, in the eye. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. 
now oh yeah just like, it's probably just like tom we're not gonna let him actually use his hands we're just gonna <laughs> fix a steel cable to it okay tom yeah. <laughs> we're gonna fix a steel cable to this knife tom that's mm-hmm. that's the only way we're gonna let you do it all right how many slow-mo doves out of five two and a half oh really i just just two it was one for a while, and then this last time bumped it up to a two. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving I'm a, it a two as well. I'm a big John Woo action guy. Like those yeah. slow mo doves specifically are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so cool looking. Him walking past the door frame that's on fire. Yeah, yeah, dove, come on. like flying it's, in. It's so funny. It is so funny just to walk past slowly <laughs> to not go into the room. Just to like he blows up the room outside and then just like does a walk by and keeps going. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so funny. All right, now let's talk about Mission Impossible 3. J.J. Abrams' mm-hmm. first movie. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. It is. $150 million budget for your first movie. That's insane. Truly. Only J.J. Abrams could do it. Mm-hmm. And do it so well. Yeah. True. And it's, just because, I, it's just because Tom Cruise watched like the first season of Alias over like a weekend and was like, you know what? Yeah, let's get that guy. Yeah, I think the story of how he got each director on is hilarious. It is. He was at dinner with Spielberg and <laughs> Brian De Palma was there one night. So then he was talking with him about it. And I was like, huh, let me go through his his filmography real quick. Rewatch everything. And then it was like, all right, De Palma's our guy. Mm-hmm. He definitely just watched Face Off and was like, oh, I got to get <laughs> him for Ooh, Mission yeah. Muscle yeah. 2. And then for this one, yeah, he watched Alias and was like, all right, we got our guy, Mission Muscle <laughs> 3. Here we go. So, yeah, J.J. Abrams brought on board. I really, really like this one. I had such I a great really time fun. watching it. It's really good. I think especially, like, coming right after, like, in the same day, watching Mission Impossible 2. Mm. I watched that one first and then watched Mission Impossible 3 later in the day. I, did the I think thing. that helped it elevate it much more. Just it was just yeah, such a good time. Like, I was, I was truly enjoying myself with this. And we got, I mean, so many great actors as, re- as well filling out the, the cast. Lawrence Fishburne. We got our Simon Pegg so in sad. here now. I'm so sad. Ryan came over to my house the day I watched Mission Impossible 3, yeah. and I made a bunch of Lawrence Fishburne jokes. And I didn't him. get any. <laughs> he had oh, seen it already. No. And he had not seen it. Because his lines in this movie are incredible. They're insane. They are. Yeah. They're oh so God. good. I mean, some of the yeah. best dialogue you can get in an action movie. And some of the best yeah. performances you could get is Lawrence Fishburne saying the lines he has in this movie. Every single one. Over. I mean, yeah. All bangers yeah. all the time. He we made need, Kendall Roy need, proud with that. We need to petition Paramount to do like an Avengers of IMF leaders. Like if we could just get a movie with Kittredge, Anthony Hopkins, Lawrence Fishburne, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> that would be amazing. For sure. So yeah, that was great. And then of course, as the villain, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Just astounding. Yeah. like That opening sequence... Oh my god! Yes, that one was insane. Just starting like, off with counting, oh yeah, it's insane. Really yeah. gripped me into it, There's and usually like things like that. And then honestly, this one I think towards the end does sort of fall into that trap. But when you open up in the climax, mm-hmm. it can be very difficult because then obviously the rest of the film we're like waiting for that to come up, but certain elements to it are obviously spoiled at that point, and so you have to make the build up to that compelling enough. Not yeah. every film can manage that. So they try and skip directly to the most interesting part of it. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, this film, it did have many compelling elements throughout. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have just cut it slightly sooner. I wish we didn't get 10 or at least didn't hear the gunshot. Yeah. But, I mean, what an amazing opening. 
getting, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. doing great acting. And then finally, Tom Cruise being able to let it rip with his acting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. First time in this franchise so far. Able to really let loose with that. So it was just, yeah, what a gripping way to start out. Fantastic. I just love the opening where it's pitch black and you just hear Philip Seymour Hoffman say, there's a bomb in your head. And then it cuts to Tom Cruise's <laughs> head. And Tom Cruise is like, like, looks like he's on the verge of like actually just dying. Like he looks yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. What a good cut too. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first movie where Ethan Hunt just gets the shit kicked out of him. Oh yeah. And that happens in every other movie. Like after like, that, like psychologically too. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Psychologically tormented in this movie. Yeah. It's incredible. If you ever go back and rewatch MI3, there is a commentary track with JJ Abrams and Tom Cruise. Really? That is, that is really something. Cause they were, I only listened to the first like 10 minutes of it, but they were going to start the movie just with the house party. And it wasn't until like they were in the editing process that they, they were like, this doesn't like it's, ta- it's taking too long to get to the first like Carrie Russell action sequence. Like they need to, we need to start with something else. And then they found that scene. We're like, yeah, that'd be perfect to start it. Start there. Yeah. What a good decision. to do. I know. Honestly. So good. So yeah, they also incorporate another new thing, which is Ethan Hunt's personal life. Like actually having him. Yeah do something outside of just you know these missions and being part of the imf team and now he's taking a step back from field work mm-hmm. so he can be with uh julia and they get engaged and they're gonna get married so we get to see that element to it and again i'm not sh- entirely sold on the chemistry but it's far better I buy than them. in the first I like two films. Them. Yeah. They did it a lot more in the first two. I yeah. think, yeah, in a much more efficient way too of just having like the scene of the toast to them and then they're like dancing during that like party where everyone's there. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think it definitely it worked a lot more than those other ones. Mm-hmm. Um and definitely since it was much more essential in this one for us to really care about the romantic interest, I think they were successful enough because in those yeah. later parts, I was definitely, I was tuned in biting my nails, hoping that he was going to be able to get there and do all that stuff, which is also funny because she definitely does make appearances later in the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't remember. Cause again, uh-huh. the, uh, his like love interest, um, usually don't stick around or they, mm-hmm. every other film they like get cycled out. So mm-hmm. it is funny that I was like, I definitely knew she could have made it, but I didn't know. So I was like, they might actually kill her off. Like he might lose her in this. So, I'm glad you got that experience of like worrying about whether she's going to die or not. Yeah. yeah. But I knew she wasn't because I had watched, I think she's in Ghost <laughs> Protocol and I had seen that one yeah. like first and knew yeah. that she was alive. And then also she's in Fallout, right? Yeah. I know. I, cause I remember, I remember there's like a callback to some old love interest that he had and they like have this whole thing back and forth. Um, isn't that the one as well? What's the one where they like walk through the park? Is it in that in Fallout? I think that's, that's Fallout. Is it Fallout? Okay. Yeah, but that's him so, and Elsa that are walking through the him and Elsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But later, it's because yeah, Luther is also there, and he makes comments about like him and Julia too in Fallout. Yeah, I remember yeah, things yeah. like that. So yeah, I remember those bits and pieces of like, there's one of these, um, yeah, one of those women was like the love interest that he has, and like this could be that one. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know which one. I didn't remember enough of that um, yeah. or her name specifically. But yeah, so I was able to get that experience of oh no, are they gonna? actually go through with it and kill her off yeah because um, they do i mean they set up by killing Lindsay ferris mm-hmm. talking about carrie russell from before or, um getting 
killed like in a brutal way too like that yeah like that's the, really uh, being oof. like uh, her going her going ethan thank you and then just immediately oh, up. oh Ooh, that brutal like, yeah that gives me like the shivers yeah i think it's such a it's such a change from the first like the first mission impossible is wonderful the second mission impossible takes such a swing in the exact other direction <laughs> and i think right. Something that J.J. Abrams does really well is just be a really steady hand. And so he just kind of brings it back to the middle. He really simplifies down the plot. They're going after the rabbit's foot. What is that? Who cares? We don't even know. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. They're going after the rabbit's foot. Everybody knows it's the rabbit's foot. And Julia gets taken hostage. Those are the most important things in the whole movie. And you can follow everything else from that. It's a good transitional movie too to get into the later movies. Oh, absolutely. Very well yeah. 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 This one definitely takes after those later films much more. Like it sets that tone of like the action style, the pace of it. It's much more akin to, yeah, like the 21st century sort of action style that we have nowadays. Yeah. So, in that sense too, yeah, it was like sort of that bridge um, transitioning us from. Mission Impossible 1, which again, didn't have too much of that. Again, the thriller aspects was much more prominent. And then with Mission Impossible 2, like using the more slow-mo stuff, like the wire work, a lot more of the... Big action stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big, big like, action set pieces. John Woo action stuff. Yeah. So this sort of leans into those big set pieces, but then also more of the like frantic shaky cam, a lot more of the quick cuts. Like the editing pace of this is noticeably way quicker than the Lens previous players. ones. Gotta have J.J. Abrams' is a signature. Bro, when, when Tom Cruise walks through the gas station to meet Billy Crudup and there's lens flares in that, I got pissed. I was like, what are you doing? You're lens flaring a dramatic scene in a gas station? God damn it. He can't resist. Can't help himself. Mm-hmm. He really can't. But um, but yeah, I do want to shout out that uh, that helicopter chase, though. That was another Oh, oh yeah, through the windmills? Yeah. Yeah, so many great components going on there. Oh, yeah, just... Deciding to have like oh helicopter chase through windmill. I mean that's just what a fun. While concept. they're trying to electrocute her, and then Maggie Q falls out of the helicopter. Like <laughs> that exactly. Like yeah, we're trying to save her. We got to get this bomb situation figured out. Number one, but then number two, okay, yeah. now we need to like do the. Also, the idea thing. that there's a bomb in her head and you don't know when it's going to go off. You just know yeah, it's about to. That it's there. Yeah. Yeah, that's also scary. Trying exactly. to wait for the later to charge up, which adds yeah. another like sound element of just the whine of the the thing charging up. It's just mm-hmm. really great. I think that's one of the things that especially the later movies do great that is introduced here is just not only is there the plan and the things that are going wrong with the plan, but there are like three and four things, extra things for Ethan Hunt to worry about mm-hmm. on top of that, that all get balanced, I think, pretty well. Yeah. Just piling all those different things on top of each other, raising the stakes, raising tension. Mm-hmm. So that sequence worked really well. And then again, a great finish to it of... Ethan unfailing and her actually having the bomb go off. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Just brutal. Um, so, yeah. But then there are other elements, too. Like, this definitely takes a much more serious and, like, darker approach in, at points like that one. And then, like, having a much more serious personal uh, sort of danger that Ethan Hunt is facing. It's not just saving the world or, like, you know, exonerating himself. But it's someone he truly cares about is at risk of dying and we have been shown through the opening sequence and through ferris as well like this guy doesn't have qualms about killing her like he will go through with it so mm-hmm. that yeah. da- that sense of danger is very much real uh, but then there are other parts of it too that are just fun 
like the banter mm-hmm. with Luther and Ethan. I like how Luther gets more to do in this film. Actually has oh, yeah. opinions on things. We learn about his life of like him having failed relationships because he's a part of this team. Um, so I like that. The other two members of the team, they give them some good stuff as well here and there for banter. Um, and then, of course, yeah, Simon Pegg, Benji getting introduced here. So that's what's mm-hmm. great. Sticking around for the rest of the franchise. Um, but stuff like the Vatican set piece, like that's just really just fun stuff. Yeah. Like, the, the callback absurd. to the first movie with him like yeah. rolling down the side and doing that. The what I think the, they call it like the, the squirrel jump stuff. kind of the yeah. wire stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Then just arguing in Italian, like uh-huh. with the truck. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, bro, how come Maggie Q and, and Jonathan Rice Mayers never came back? They didn't. I, I, I was like, I was like, watching the movie, them. and I was like, was one? I was trying to remember the movie, and I was like, did one of them turn out to be a villain, or did, did they die? And like, why don't they yeah. ever come back? And then they just don't come back. Like, they're fine at the end of the movie, and they never make a return yeah. to the franchise. I know they, they were, were trying good. to bring. They were trying to bring Maggie Q back for, I think, Rogue Nation. But uh, something something fell through and she and she couldn't Sucks. shooting schedule was just something and they she were good in the movie yeah yeah, really yeah I liked them it was the first time too to... where it was like an actual team like a full mm-hmm. team that they had and yeah. it, they stuck through from beginning to end so I enjoyed that aspect to it it was the but first yeah, time they, they added team members to the team that didn't either a die or b end up being double agents that didn't carry on into the next movie like you yeah. have Luther you have Simon Pegg you have mm-hmm. Robert rebecca ferguson yeah you have all these people carrying over into the next movies but these two characters just didn't yeah they just disappeared and that makes me sad it they does good. Yeah. Sad. Mm-hmm. and Lawrence fishburne never came back too no while we're yeah. while we're on Lawrence fishburne i want to share some of my favorite quotes of his because they're <laughs> yes, so please. good i looked them up I looked- <laughs> you can look at me with those judgmental incriminating eyes all you want but i bullshit you not i will bleed on the flag to make sure the stripes stay red incredible yeah. that's sick yeah <laughs> absolutely that's amazing let me see if I can pull up more. Oh, Jesus, I know. it was just okay. the whole thing too. But even when he was delivering like the little snarky remarks too, like when please, um, don't, please don't interrupt me when I'm asking rhetorical questions. <laughs> <I'm the laughs> one yeah. Amazing. When when um uh, I think Billy Crudder someone says something unacceptable and he says it's unacceptable that chocolate makes you fat, but I've eaten my share. <laughs> Guess what? That's fantastic. <laughs> Which especially in context of Tom Cruise, like it's kind of horrible of you to suggest like she was bad at her job because she's now dead because the mission went wrong and he's like yeah. well it's unacceptable to do this it's like yeah talk about someone being dead and being like oh she sucked at her job and she just she like got herself killed and then yeah. just having that analogy to compare it to crazy so funny. crazy Did you just throw a title at me i don't care if your daddy plays golf with the president this is intelligence so far i haven't seen I haven't any. seen any yeah that is <laughs> <Fantastic>. so good <laughs> He has the best quotes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And they're just nonstop. They're one after the other. Yeah, whatever yeah. they were on for that scene to just pump out incredible lines of dialogue one after the other. So amazing. Um, yeah, it was fantastic stuff. Any other major elements of this film y'all want to shout out? Yeah, we got to talk about uh, Ethan Hunt's lip reading. Oh, yeah. Which comes oh, yeah. up later in some of the other movies. That's brought up. That's just another great setup is him at the house party, like basically eavesdropping on his wife <laughs> and his, or his fiance and, and her friends. They're like, Oh yeah. Like Wanaka. <laughs> like, how did he hear that? Which I like there? that they brought that back twice. Yeah. Like later yeah he yeah. asks her to make sure this is actually Julia. He's like, mm-hmm. what lake did we stay at? So yeah. Yeah. They set up for the reading lips when he's in the HQ and is like tied mm-hmm. up. And then um, Musgraves is like helping him out. And then, yeah. For that yeah. other element too, of trying to confirm that it's his wife he's on the phone with. Yeah. 
we put a lot of time into the the counting scene at the beginning, but we also got to talk about the plane sequence where he's dangling Philip Seymour Hoffman so out of the plane good. and just cutting so those amazing. cutting those ropes over and over. Yeah, yeah that was fantastic. Him going berserk there. Yeah. Yeah. Like him him as well being so observant, like how cool, calm and collected Cackley is with mm. he observed and that whole thing he's dangling wires are getting cut he's like falling even mm-hmm. further down but in all that he's taking notes of ethan that's your name yeah. like yeah. that whole thing and then whether or not he uh he's trying to figure out like if he had a, a girlfriend or a wife that he was gonna punish and kill and all that so yeah yeah it also starts uh something that definitely carries over into the rest of the movies which is ethan caring less about the fate of the world and more about the people in his life like everything that he does True. is in service but, of Julia and everything that he does in the later movies is in service of Benji and yeah. Elsa. And But but what makes the, the mission so impossible is that every time he's given that choice of choosing the people he loves or saving the world and he has to find a way to do both and he always yeah. does. And that's yeah. what makes the mission so impossible. Yeah, yeah. Saving everybody. True. Really fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, I think all of that stuff was great. We get a magnificent shot of tom cruise sprinting oh shanghai yeah. in this one yeah love to the see first of many. him doing calculus on the window of trying to that figure is out also the, great. the pendulum Art, that's yeah. a great shot yeah that was really lovely um yeah love is great also a surprise aaron paul in this yeah Hilarious. that's pretty <laughs> so funny. funny it's julia's brother yeah <laughs> it's great I wish so, he came back. They should bring him back in the They should. Yeah. They could do it. He yeah. suddenly he became should, like, a, an Ethan agent. Hunt. He's like, Ethan? <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. My um, my sister's ex-husband, Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> you still work in the Department of Transportation? Yeah. <laughs> you still trying these traffic patterns? <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah. I love that. I love that when Ethan is in like the IMF headquarters and they're like, he's a prisoner and then he breaks out and he gets to like the upper levels. It's actually just the Department of Transportation. Yeah. That's really Uh, fucking funny. That was really, that was a really great gag. Yeah. I love that. I love this is the first movie where Ethan just dies completely. They have to totally kill Ethan. They have to, Julie has to stop his heart in order to short out the circuit and then bring him back. He dies, he's died twice now because he dies there and he drowns fully in Rogue Nation. Yeah. So, what a man! <laughs> what a man! Just always coming back. That's the, that is the impossible mission to die. And come back <laughs> for real. How long as well? He was out for quite some time because she had to do with shooting really other people. Like, like, a good two minutes at least. Yeah. 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 Well, and then she just the brings him back by doing like like the chest compressions. Yeah. I'm like I really don't think at that point that would be bringing him back. But yeah, like, right. I love that. Like pounding it is on Ethan it. Ethan Hunt, Ryan. Yeah. Ethan Hunt can do anything. Uh huh. But of when course. she stops his heart, I think they like take out like two frames of him actually biting the popsicle stick. And so yeah, as that was soon really as she cool, flips it, it's just broken. And that's, I don't know, that that gives me a, like a weird thing about death or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fascinating choice. All right. Any other last minute thoughts? I just thought Phil Seymour Hoffman was great. I think he's probably yeah. the best villain we've seen in the Michelle oh, yeah. franchise. I think I mean, he's just yeah. so good. Yeah. Can't sing his praises enough. I mean, it was mm-hmm. fantastic. I love um, the beginning when he's doing the countdown and he starts screaming five, five, mm-hmm. five. I think it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the whole, yeah, like going back to the Vatican thing, I thought the whole thing of them trying to get his face, and then we see the construction of the face mask mm-hmm. that Tom Cruise puts on, but then he asked the, the like voice modulator. 
Yeah, and Phil Zimmer is sticking too long for like for like so thirty seconds. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he he does the thing really well, like how Tom Cruise does his like stay back, like he puts his yeah, hands yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was all fun sequence as well. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Michael so, yeah. Giacchino's score is great. I think you guys should have for your uh like top ten of the year stuff. You should have Philip Seymour Hoffman counting for you (laughs) for your choices that would be good (laughs) that would be really funny and ryan what's your fifth pick of the year five five (laughs) all right how many bunny appendages out of five oh four rabbits feet four feet yeah four feet for sure i'm giving it a 4.5 wow he really liked it i was a big fan everything with i mean we've talked about it so much but yeah all the characters in this one they were great the character relationships the team action was still really solid so yeah mm. and especially coming off of mission possible 2 i was <laughs> i was fully plugged into this one in yeah. a way i wasn't for that so yeah now we've really all seen like we've all seen mission possible one through fallout now right we all have- can't have us rank it now i mean we gotta, ah, we gotta save that for our next part in the franchise retrospective when we talk about the other one that's a year from now right? but we can rank these three very yeah. quickly before we go so oh, three one two. I mean, I think we're all gonna say that. Yeah, I think I think three one two. Yeah, three, I one, would two. very much agree. Three one two. Yeah, all right. Three one two. Consensus. Ah, nice. Good. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com. Our main top theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars whatever podcast app you're listening to. Big shout out to Kirk for coming out and talking about Mission Impossible with us. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's been a long time since you've been on the show. So it's good yeah. to have you back. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. And hopefully we'll have you next week when we talk about Dead Reckoning Part 1. Absolutely. And be sure to tune in next week for that episode. Have a great rest of your day.